Well, my name's Clayton Walker. I'm the lead pastor of the City Church. If we've never met, I'm just honored that you're here with us today. And today we look a lot differently than we did a year ago. My guess is, is a year ago about this time, you were in your PJs, on your couch, uh, in your recliner maybe, uh, watching an Easter service, maybe without pants on, right? Uh, but my hope is, You've got pants on today, all right? That, that, that's my hope. We're all dressed up. My guess is you got your pants on. I got my pants on, all right? We're, we're here, we're ready for some Easter, right? And so we are pumped that you are here and that we are all together today. Let me ask you a question. Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you in your lifetime have ever finished a book? You read it start to finish and you finished it. Let me see your hands. Okay, it's about like every service. It's about 75%. There's about 25% of us that went to high school and didn't read. Okay, we didn't finish the book. Uh, we went to college somehow and we still didn't read, okay? We, we didn't read or finish the book. Here's the great news. Today, if you've been with us for the Daniel series or maybe you've been watching online, you get to finish a book. So give yourselves a hand, all right? We're gonna finish a book today, all right? We are in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, we're gonna finish out this book Today, if you've been here over the last month, you've heard me say a couple of times, uh, our 20 year vision is to preach about three or four books of the Bible a year, verse by verse, so that hopefully, prayerfully, if Jesus doesn't return, we will have preached through the whole Bible in about 20 years. So that's our vision, is to worship Jesus, is to teach about Jesus, is to teach his word, is to make disciples of Jesus. And we would love to have you join us in that. Next week, we're going to start, start a series called The Twelve. We'll do that for a few weeks. We're going to take the life of a disciple and just kind of break down their, their, their life, their preaching, their, their martyrdom. Uh, we'll look at three of them. It's a series we'll come back to later. But if you're ever like, man, I'm not too sure about this resurrection thing. Did it really happen? Is this really a historical fact? Uh, we're going to look at some of the evidence for the resurrection in this series called The Twelve. Then after those three weeks, we'll start a new series called Supreme where we will break down uh, the, the, the book of Colossians. We'll walk verse by verse through the Colossians and that'll take us into June. So that's where we're headed. We'd love to have you join us. Now, in case you haven't been here for the book of Daniel, let me just kind of give you an intro to the main characters and hopefully just kind of catch you up a little bit so that you're not so lost when we dive in here in, into Daniel chapter 12. So first of all, the book of Daniel's main character is... Daniel. Yeah, not a trick question. Okay. It's about Daniel and his friends. His friends are called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names. Maybe you've heard of those names before. Those are the three that were thrown into the fiery furnace, right? And Daniel was the one that's famous for being in the lion's den, right? And so Daniel and his friends are in this Babylonian captivity. They're captives in Babylon. Daniel chapter one says that God brought the nation of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar against his own people, Judah and Jerusalem specifically, and wiped them out, destroyed the temple and took some of them into captivity. And Daniel and his friends are some of those that have been taken into captivity in the nation of Babylon, right? Nebuchadnezzar is the king, then Persia rises to power and Darius and Cyrus are some of the famous kings of, of Persia who lead Persia. And so that's where Daniel and his friends, these Jews, find themselves throughout the book of Daniel. They are in captivity. They are being punished for their sin by the sovereign will of God. And it's in this captivity that Daniel and his friends are persecuted. And then they rise to power. And then they're persecuted. And then they rise to power. They go from the pit to the palace, to the pit to the palace, back and forth. And all the while, Daniel and his friends remain faithful worshipers of the one true God. They are persecuted. They are told to worship these counterfeits, these idols. 
but they remain true worshipers, faithful worshipers of the one true God. And you've heard me say throughout this series, everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Satan offers a counterfeit for your love and for your worship and for you to give yourself to, but those are idols, those are counterfeits that will never satisfy. And it's in their captivity that Daniel and his friends are forced to turn from the creation, from the one true God, and to worship these counterfeits. But they continue to resist and they continue to remain faithful worshipers of God. And we've said today in our Babylon, you and I as followers of Jesus must be faithful worshipers of Jesus. And in case you didn't know, that's what the Bible's all about. It's about being faithful worshipers of Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus, it's not about you. It's for you, but it's about Jesus. And it's about being faithful worshipers of Jesus. In spite of what the American church and some American preachers have said, the Bible is not about practical steps to your best life now. That's not what it's about. The Bible is all about the worship of Jesus, God's son, Jesus. And so that's why we're studying Daniel. And that's why we're gonna be going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we don't need inspirational messages about how to live your best life now. We need the inspired word of God to help us and transform us into faithful worshipers of Jesus. We need the inspired word of God. You've heard me say that Daniel is apocalyptic literature. Now, let me just tell you one thing about apocalyptic literature. I don't have time to go into everything we've talked about in the past, but let me just tell you one thing. Apocalyptic literature and the imagery that it used and it's foreshadowing of what's to come and that very end before Jesus returns, the goal is to wake you up. It's to wake you up to the battle that is waging for your soul and for your heart, even right now in this moment. This isn't history, it's not just history, it's about what happened, certainly, but it's also about what always happens. It's about what's happening right now. It's about the spiritual battle that's being waged right now for your soul and your heart and your kid's soul and your grandkid's soul. And it's about what's to come. Apocalyptic literature always has this kind of threefold layer to it, where it's about what's happening, it's about what's going to happen, and it's about what will happen in the very end before Jesus returns. And it's apocalyptic literature, and just by its very nature, it wakes us up to the battle, to the spiritual battle for our soul. It reminds us of eternal truth. It reminds us and it challenges us with what is to come in the end and how it's all going to end. Let me ask you this question. When you know the end of the story, when you know the end of a ball game, and you've recorded it and you watch it back, that experience is different than watching it live, right? Because you know the end of the game, you know the score, you know how it's going to be settled, and so you watch it with far less anxiety, right? You've either resigned yourself to the loss or you're just excited about how the story unfolds to the eventual win, right? Several years ago, my boys were outside playing football and I was the all-time quarterback because I can throw that pigskin, guys. I'm not joking, okay? So I'm the all-time quarterback, all right? My boys are playing. Levi's on one team. Coben's on another team. All the neighborhood boys are, are, are playing and they're going against each other. Coben's team is up by several touchdown, uh, touchdowns. My older son's team, Levi, is losing by a ton. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out there with them. And Levi, my older son, is talking all kinds of noise and trash to my younger son, Coben. I mean, he's just giving it to him, right? You, I can, you can't guard me. I've got you on lockdown. I've got you in check, you know, just talking all kinds of trash to Coben. And Coben doesn't even respond. It doesn't even phase him. Why? Because his team is winning by a lot. And he knows this. I've already said, this is the last drive. And then it's over. 
It's bedtime, we're going in, we're doing baths, we're eating dinner, it's bedtime, it's over, this is the last drive. Coben wasn't phased by his older brother's noise and trash talk because his new father has already called game. It's over. And when you know the end of the game, it changes the entire experience. When you know how things end, it changes everything about the way you live your daily life. And so that's one of the reasons we've been studying the book of Daniel. And today we're going to see the very end and what is to come, what even happens after you and I die and after Jesus returns, what happens after that. So if you got your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 12, open it up on your phone. I would challenge you to download our app, open our app, the City Church Lubbock, click message notes, and then follow along with us there. The verses are there for you to read through. There's some points there where you can fill in the blank, take some notes, you can email them self to, uh, to yourself later. As you're turning there, I just want to take a second and recognize my wife. It was her birthday yesterday. She turned 39. Do not believe her if she tells you she's 29, okay? I did not marry someone 10 years younger than me, all right? She is 39, just like I am. And uh, I just wanna tell her happy birthday. And um, the past month, I know many of you don't know this, but it has been very difficult for us. And my wife has handled herself uh, in a way that I could not be more proud of her. I've never been more proud of her uh, in my life, in her life. And so I want to say happy birthday to her. All right, Daniel chapter 12, starting in verse one. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Gabriel is speaking. This is the continuation of the vision that we've been looking at in 10 and 11. So Gabriel is speaking. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Underline that, circle that, highlight that. Everyone whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Verse two, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Daniel chapter 12 is known to have the most explicit description of the resurrection of eternal life and how it is received in all of the Old Testament. So if you're like, why are we in the Old Testament on Easter Resurrection Sunday? It's because this chapter has some of the most explicit language about the resurrection and what is to come. It's the most Easter message possibly in all of the Old Testament and the way that it describes eternal life and the resurrection that is to come. So verse one, we learn there's a time of anguish to come. There's a time of distress coming. And we've talked about this in the previous chapters, right? There's a time of anguish and distress that Daniel is seeing that's being prophesied and that he's seeing in these visions that's going to come to the nation of Israel here in a few hundred years. Antiochus Epiphanes is going to rise up. They're going to persecute the Jews. They're gonna slaughter tens and tens of thousands of Jews, uh, men, women, and children. This is the great persecution and time of distress that's being described here, that's talking about here, that's going to come in a few hundred years. But no doubt, much like the rest of the prophecy that we've been reading, this is a foreshadowing of the suffering that is to come at the very end before Jesus returns. And I know that, and we know that because Jesus in Matthew 24 quotes from Daniel a lot. And he says, just like 
Daniel, the prophet Daniel said about the son of man returning on the clouds, there's going to be a time of great distress, Jesus says, referring to the language here in Daniel, there's going to be a time of great suffering, persecution against the people of God. And then Jesus says, and then the son of man, that's me, that's Daniel language, I will return on the clouds after this time of suffering. And here in Daniel 12, verse one, it says, if your name's written in the book, after this time of suffering, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna die, your body's gonna be dead and buried, it says in verse two, but you will be rescued. You will be rescued. And that's what God does for his people. He rescues them from tribulation, trial, and suffering, and he usually does it in one of three ways. One, first, sometimes, he delivers you around the suffering so that you don't have to experience it. That's not always the case. But sometimes that's what God does. He delivers you around it so that you don't have to go through the trial, the suffering, right? The tribulation. But sometimes, two, secondly, God delivers you through it. He rescues you through it as he's with you, as he holds your hand and as he walks through that trial, that suffering with you. That's why David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You're here with me in the valley of the shadow of death. So God sometimes will deliver you around it miraculously. Sometimes God will rescue you and deliver you through it as he's with you. And then sometimes God delivers you by it. That suffering, that trial one day will overcome your body physically. It will. The scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die. That's the curse of sin, it's death. And so one day, ultimately, the trials and the tribulations of this life, the curse of sin that's on our body and on this whole world, will ultimately overcome us by it. One day, whether it's the cancer or old age or whatever, God will deli actually deliver us by the suffering. That's how powerful and amazing our God is. He, he will rescue us by it. But ultimately, here's what God always does eternally and forever. He rescues you from it. He rescues you from it all. If you're a follower of Jesus, if your name's written in the book, even though you die, it says here, you're gonna be, you're gonna rise up, you're gonna live. God's going to rescue you from it ultimately and finally. And now we see kind of more about what this looks like. Verse two, it says you're gonna rise up either to everlasting life or to everlasting shame and disgrace. So here in this vision that Daniel has, we learn there's one of two destinations for you. Only there's two and you're gonna experience one of them. You're either after you die, you're going to rise up to everlasting life or you're going to rise up to everlasting shame and disgrace. No doubt that shame and disgrace is referring to those who stand before the Lord Jesus and realize the gravity of their sin, particularly their sin of rejecting God's son, Jesus. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says this, anyone's name who's not found written in the book of life, there's that book again. There's that book again. If your name's written in the book, it says here in Daniel 12, verse one, you're gonna be rescued. Revelation 20, Revelation mirrors a lot of Daniel. And John sees in Revelation chapter 20, in this vision he's having, he hears, if anyone's name was not found written in that book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire forever, where it says their torment will last forever in that lake of fire. So not everyone clearly goes to heaven. 
When you die, you'll experience one of two things. Your soul will go to heaven where you will be in the presence of the Lord or your soul will go to hell where you will be thrown in the lake of fire forever. It's one of two places. That's what we learn here. That's what happens after you die. You're not dead forever. Your body one day will rise up. And for believers in Jesus, your body will rise up to everlasting life and it will meet your soul in the air when Jesus returns after this tribulation that we're gonna see more about here in just a second. Jesus returns, your body rises up. It's called the catching up. When your body goes to be with your soul in heaven, Jesus comes down, he returns, and you've received this new glorified resurrection body just like Jesus had that's somewhat physical in its nature, but it is both immortal, eternal, and it is your final state that you will live in forever in this resurrection body. So some will rise to eternal life, some will rise to ultimate shame and disgrace. Wayne Grudem, popular theologian who wrote Systematic Theology, it's what most pastors walk through in seminary in two different semesters, they walk through his entire giant uh, systematic theology. Here's what he says about hell. Here's how he defines it based on what the scripture says. He said, hell is the eternal conscious punishment of the wicked. And as you hear that, my guess is, if you've never thought about this before, questions are immediately going off in your mind, or maybe they have before, maybe you've heard questions like this. How could a good and loving God punish someone in hell forever? Seems a little bit extreme, and I totally get it. I feel like that too. I think if we're all honest, we would all say, man, that's, uh, that's tough. I don't really know how to handle that. I don't know how that sounds to me. And maybe you've had that question before. Maybe you've even asked that question before. That, 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 that's a lot. How could a good God punish someone in hell forever? Well, let me give you a few reasons here for you to consider. Number one, you need to know God is infinite in his holiness and righteousness. Not only is God love, God is holy, God is righteous. He's a perfect judge. And so because God is infinite in his holiness and righteousness, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And that means he hates sin. He hates it. He cannot stand sin. He is infinite in his holiness and his righteousness. And he is infinite in his being. And so when you sin against God, you have infinitely offended an infinite being. And so that means the consequence is infinite in its nature. Let me explain it to you like this. Let's just say after the service is over, uh, you, you hate all of this. You can't stand me. I totally get it, okay? You, you come up and uh, because you, you've, you've hated everything I've said or you hate the service, you just come up and you deck me right in the face, all right? Let, let's just say that happened. Never happened before. First for everything, okay? Maybe, maybe you're feeling like that, all right, after today. Okay, you just come up, you punch me right in the face. All right, here's what's gonna happen, okay? There's usually a cop out there with me. There's usually a security guard out there that's kind of standing next to me or that you probably would never see or know. But if you punch me in the face, they're gonna drop you to the ground in a hurry. They're gonna cuff you and they're gonna take you away from here, okay? Now, here's what you've got going for you, okay? I'm a pastor. So maybe I won't press charges against you. Who knows? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll turn the other cheek like Jesus said and say, hey, why don't you give it one more try, all right? Who knows, okay? Who, who, who knows, right? Let's say you walk up and you punch the governor of Texas. Okay, that, that's a little bit higher of a position. So the consequence is a lot tougher, right? The fine's gonna be higher. The prison time will probably be longer. Now let's say you walk up and you punch the president of the United States in the face. That's a federal offense. 
right? The, the prison time's gonna be longer, the fine's gonna be even higher. Why? Because of the nature of the person that you've offended. And when you've offended an infinitely holy God, an infinitely righteous God, the offense is infinite because you have offended an infinite being. And so the consequence therefore is infinite. Secondly, here's what I would invite you to consider. Jesus said in John chapter three, that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that's him, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's John three sixteen. In the verses following, Jesus says this, I didn't come to condemn you, I came to save you because you stand condemned already before God. So I came to save you. That's why Jesus came, to save you, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins, right? And so he said, I came to save you, not condemn you because you stand condemned already before God because of your sin. And then Jesus goes on to say this in John chapter three. He says, because men love darkness rather than light, they reject God's son and God's way of salvation. Because men love darkness rather than light. Because we'd rather hold on to our darkness regardless of the cost, regardless of the fine, regardless of the cons. We'd rather hold on to our darkness than to give our lives to Jesus and to step into the light. And so Jesus says it like this, you've chosen your condemnation. God desires that none perish, but for all to come to repentance and to eternal life. That's, that's God's desire for none to perish. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to die in your place for your sin. He desires none perish. But Jesus says in John three, but men love darkness rather than light. So they reject God's son and they reject God's offering payment of their fine through his son, Jesus, through his death on the cross. They reject it because they love darkness. And so they choose the consequence that they will receive for their sin. Third, I would invite you to consider this when wondering how a good and loving God could send someone to hell. I, I would invite you to consider this, that love and wrath are intricately connected. Love and wrath are intricately connected. Now you're like, I, 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 don't, I don't get that, I understand that. Let, let me explain it to you like this. My guess is parents, no one loves your child more than you do. You, you, you love them, you would lay your life down for them. But in the same token, there is no one like your child when they're being disrespectful that can send you, I mean, over the roof, right? Uh, that will anger you to no end. You love that child at the same time. One word can send you in a second from absolute love to nothing but wrath, right? Now, what if another kid does that? What if another kid that you, you know, you, 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 you love them, you care about them, you know, because they're, 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 they're a person, they're human, you know? Maybe they're, they're your friend's child, and so maybe you really do love them, and they're disrespectful to you or to their parents. How do you respond? Well, sometimes I think if we're honest, we kind of laugh, like, that was a good one, you know? <laughs> uh, that, that was kind of funny. But if it's your child to you, it's not funny, because the relationship is totally different. Love and wrath are intricately connected. Let me explain it to you like this. There was a situation that happened this week that proves this, it just fell in my lap. It just proves this greater than maybe any illustration I could possibly give to people who live in Lubbock, Texas. This week, two words, Chris Beard, right? I mean, we loved him. We loved him. He was gonna have a statue at Tech. Highways were gonna be named after him. But in one day, we went from love 
to wrath, right? I mean, in one day, because love and wrath are intricately connected. I mean, this guy was called the Messiah. He was the chosen one, right? That was gonna deliver us from the dark side, from the longhorns, right? I mean, he was the chosen one. Not, not to be sacrilegious or anything, but he was Jesus to some people. And in one day, he became a Judas. Because love and wrath are intricately connected. If you were indifferent, then you wouldn't care. But because love and wrath are intricately connected, God loves you so much. But when you choose darkness rather than light, and when you reject God's son, Jesus, there's wrath. And then finally, I would invite you to consider this. Deep down inside, you desire justice. You desire ultimate justice. I, I know you do because you want justice for people like a Hitler or a Stalin. If someone hurts your kids, you want some justice, right? You want justice. We all deep down desire ultimate justice against evil and wickedness. And might I submit to you that the scripture teaches that desire for justice comes from God himself. The scripture teaches us in Genesis chapter one, you were created in the image of God in his likeness. And so your desire for justice comes from God's desire for justice. That's where you got it from. That's why you desire justice, because God desires justice. And that's great news, because ultimately and finally one day, God will put an end to evil and suffering forever. It answers the question as to why a good God will allow all this evil and suffering. He's not going to. He's not going to. He's being patient, the scripture says, so that none will perish and so that as many as possible will come to repentance and find faith in Jesus Christ. But ultimately one day, make no mistake, God is putting an end to evil and wickedness and he will carry out infinite justice one day. So here, Daniel 12 says, some will rise to everlasting shame and disgrace. While on the other hand, if your name is written in the book, you will rise to everlasting life. Who, whose book is this? What, what book is being talked about here? Well, in Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 17, this book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the Lamb's Book. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written in the Lamb's Book, you will rise. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the people of God would bring a lamb that would die in their place for their sin. It was a perfect lamb, it was a spotless lamb. They would bring this lamb to the high priest and the high priest would slaughter the lamb, would take some of the blood from the sacrifice and would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and would sprinkle some of that blood on what was called the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And that blood would atone for that person or the nation of Israel's sin. And in the same way, this sacrificial system foreshadowed and it prophesied an ultimate and final lamb who would come and die in your place for your sin. When you brought that lamb to the high priest, you would lay your hand on it and say, this lamb is taking my sin. The sin that I, that sin that I owe, the fine that I owe, this lamb is going to die in my place for my sin. It's gonna pay my fine for sin because the curse of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Well, when Jesus shows up, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, there, there, there he goes, behold, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus 
is called the Lamb of God. And it's his book. It's the Lamb's book of life because our Lamb of God, Jesus conquered sin. Paul wrote it like this through his death on the cross. Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him, those of us who are in him would become the righteousness of God. That's become right with God. Their sin would be forgiven once and for all time, past, present, and future. Their sin would be forgiven. They would be made right with God. That's righteous. And they would know for sure that when they die, they're going to heaven. He who knew no sin, Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, became sin. He died in our place for our sin so that those who are in him, those who have given their life to the lamb, their sin is forgiven. And their name is written in the lamb's book of life. So check this out. It's the lamb of God that satisfied the wrath of God. It's the Lamb of God, Jesus, who satisfied the wrath of God, the wrath of God against your sin and mine. But then three days later, that Lamb of God who died in your place for your sin rose from the grave and he conquered death itself. Hebrews 2 says it like this, that when Jesus died and rose again, he disarmed death. He removed the power of death and by dying, he canceled the power of death and he made death gain. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christian, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he made death gain for you and I. Jesus, by death, makes death gain. Jesus said it like this, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live forever with me. One of two places. One of two destinations. You will rise to everlasting life or rise to everlasting destruction. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be rise, be raised to life. Verse three, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars Forever. Those who lead many to righteous are wise. Those who lead many to righteous have made it their highest priority and concern in this life to lead people to righteousness that they might experience eternal life. In this present world, many times followers of Jesus are persecuted, they're, they're martyred, they're misunderstood, they're misrepresented, they, they, they suffer economically because of their spiritual priorities and are overlooked by the world. But this decision to follow Jesus is wise. To put his kingdom first is wise because it will ultimately be rewarded. We'll talk more about that here in just a second, but it's wise. You will shine like stars if you lead people to righteousness. That's what we do as the, as the people of God. Verse four, it says this, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. In the ancient Near East, it was the custom to seal an important document and to impress on it that seal with the identifying marks of the parties involved and of the recording scribe. The sealed text was not to be tampered with or changed. The original document was duplicated and placed in a safe place where it could be preserved. It was sealed up in the words of verse 4. So Gabriel, this angel, therefore, is instructing Daniel to preserve this prophecy, not merely the final vision that we're seeing here, but this whole book for those who will live, it says, at the time of the end, when this message will really be needed. 
this future generation pointing to these Jewish people that will undergo this persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes, but no doubt is foreshadowing the persecution that is to come in the time of the great tribulation. These people, these future generations will undergo the horrors of this anguish, it says in verse one, this time of distress, and will need these precious promises here in the book of Daniel to sustain them. And as the end approaches, we're learning here that these messages and visions, prophecies that Daniel has are going to become increasingly clearer to the people of God. Verse five, then I, Daniel, looked and saw two others standing on the opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen who was now standing above the river, how long will it be until these shocking events are over? So the angels now are asking this man who's above them dressed in linen, how long will it be until these, all, all of this is over? The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both of his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever saying, it will go on for a time, times, and half a time. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. And so I asked, how will all of this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I've said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. So this angel asked Jesus, this is the man dressed in linen, who's high above this river and high above even the angels. The angels don't know what's going on. They're, they're a little bit confused too. They don't understand all of this and how long it's going to last. And so they asked this man dressed in linen who is high above the angels. That could only be Jesus once again, as we've seen in the book of Daniel, appearing and making his presence known before his incarnation. And he's being asked by the angels, how, how long is all of this going to last? And Jesus says, this man dressed in linen says a time, times, and Half a time. Scholars believe this is possibly three and a half years where, in the words of five through nine, the shattering of the holy people, that's the people of God, specifically that's the nation of Israel, but it points to the three and a half years of persecution that the people of God who are alive during the tribulation at the very end of time will undergo. It's the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation before Jesus returns. And Daniel, again, he says, I don't understand. And so he asks again, how long is all this going to happen? And when's it going to be over? And here's what Jesus says, go now, go live your life. Basically don't be concerned about your lack of knowledge with all of these things, because this vision is related to the far distant future. And even that is a foreshadowing of what is to come at the very end of time. Here's what he's telling Daniel. You're not on the party planning committee. You're on the welcoming committee. You're not going to figure out all the names and times and details and places. Jesus in Acts 1 tells his followers, hey, it's not for you to know the times and places. You're not on the party planning committee. You're not going to figure all of this out. You've heard me say throughout this series, if you've got your charts like I do, but you're saying I've got all this figured out and I know exactly how it's all going to happen, you're weird. You don't. You don't know how it's all going to happen, okay? And people who tell you this is exactly how it's going to happen and you need to listen to me and this is the way the end's going to look like and this is the right way, this is the true way, there is no other way that you should listen to, they're weird. Run, okay? There's a lot of different ways people look at this stuff, okay? They're not totally sure. I've told you all throughout this. I've told you my opinion and how I interpret some of these things, but, I, but I'm not sure. I hold those in an open hand. And my closed hand, it's, there's no debate for, is that Jesus is going to return. The dead are going to rise and he is going to reign forever and we will be with him forever. Verse 10, 
Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials that your people are going to, to go through. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshiped, there will be 1290 days. That's about three and a half years. Jesus tells Daniel, who doesn't understand all this, he says, but these, these trials are going to purify you. They're going to cleanse you. They're going to refine you. And how many of you know that that's what suffering often does? It exposes the counterfeits in your life that are not worthy of your faith and trust and worship. And it reveals and exalts God's son, Jesus, who is worthy of your trust and hope and worship. Trials will always do that to you. It will refine, it will purify your faith as it exposes the counterfeits and as it exalts the one true king, Jesus. And it does this both individually and corporately. And Jesus says this, the wicked will continue in wickedness. They're not gonna understand all of this. They're not gonna understand what's going on, but the wise will know. In other words, they will be able to determine specifically when these three and a half years start, when this tribulation, the worst part of the tribulation, so they will be able to understand this because they will see the daily sacrifices stopped in the new temple that will be built. Uh, the abomination that causes desecration that we've talked a lot about in the previous weeks, um, that will happen in this new temple in Jerusalem one day. And when believers see these things and we have these prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, we will begin to understand as these events unfold. But once again, just like there's two eternal destination, Jesus talks about two different ways. The, the way of the wise and the way of the wicked. You look in verse 10 and verse 11, it talks about the wicked and the wise. And there's a way of wickedness, there's the way of wickedness, and there's the way of the wise. The way of the wickedness, the way of wickedness is the way of the dragon. In Revelation, Satan is referred to as the dragon. His beast, his antichrist, and his false prophet, who says, follow the beast, worship the beast. That's the way of the dragon. Remember, I've told you throughout this series, everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So just like there's a perfect, holy trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Satan creates his own evil trinity, the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. The way of the wicked is the way of the dragon. The way of the wise is the way of the lamb, the lamb of God who was slain in your place for your sin. That same lamb who owns this book of life. There's the way of the dragon. There's the way of the lamb. There's everlasting life. There's everlasting destruction. There's two ways that lead to two ultimate destinations. But let me tell you what there is not. There is no such thing as neutral. You're either following the dragon or you're following the lamb. Even by your indifference, by your neutrality, you are following the dragon. 
You're either following the lamb, which leads to life, or you're following the dragon, which leads to death. There is no neutral. There's no such thing as just a nominal Christian who just shows up a few times a year and kind of pays their respects to Jesus. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as the neutral or the indifferent. That doesn't exist. You're either following the dragon or you're following the lamb. There's no such thing as neutral. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a couple of parables about what it's gonna be like when he returns. Matthew 25, Jesus says there's 10 virgins who are expecting this groom to come and they're awaiting this groom to come. And in the parable, Jesus says there's five of these virgins who are awaiting the groom, these bridesmaids who are awaiting the groom, who are foolish, they're wicked. But there's five who are wise, they're, they're, they're ready, they're anticipating the return of the groom. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says these wise, five of them who are wise, who are ready and awaiting the return of the groom, will go into the wedding party. But the five who are wicked, who are not ready, will be left outside. It says where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's shame and disgrace. Jesus is almost telling us, it's like he's prophesying, saying that in the end, half of the people who think they're awaiting the groom, half of the people who think they're a part of the bride who is waiting for the groom, and the bride is called the church in the New Testament, half of the people who think they're a bride really aren't, and they're going to be left outside where there is shame and disgrace and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's talking about hell. Half the people who are expecting to be a part of the wedding party, the consummation of the bride and the groom, and when Jesus returns for his church, will be left outside. Jesus then goes on to tell another parable in Matthew chapter 25 about some goats and sheep. And he says when he returns, he's gonna put his goats, the goats on the left, and they're gonna to go to eternal destruction, and he's gonna put the sheep on the right, and they're gonna to go to eternal life. What's the difference between a sheep and a goat? Well, one of them is that a goat does whatever he wants and he goes wherever he pleases. They're scattered out everywhere. A sheep, on the other hand, knows the shepherd's voice and follows him wherever he goes. There's this active pursuit and listening to the shepherd. And so once again, Jesus is telling us, there's going to be goats and sheep. There are people who think they're a part of the family, but, but they're really not. In Matthew chapter seven, again, Jesus says this, there will be many that say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these good things? And look, I, I showed up a few times and I prayed some of the prayers and maybe I was even baptized and my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And Jesus will say to those who are fully expecting to enter the kingdom, he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Folks, that should scare you a little bit. It should at least cause you to do what Paul said you should do, which is to test yourself and see whether you're really in the faith. Because if you've just been kind of parked in neutral and you're not really pursuing Jesus, that should scare you a little bit, that maybe you're a part of the five, you're in the half that will be fully expecting to enter the kingdom one day, but you will hear depart from me, I never knew you. And listen, there's nothing that scares me more. For you, that you might be fooling yourself, thinking you're something you're not. All this time you've thought maybe because of your indifference or your lukewarmness or, or the fact that you don't really care about some of these things that we're talking about as much as other people do, you've just thought, well, I, I just don't care. You know, maybe they're, they're just a little bit different, but, I, but I'm kind of there. Listen, maybe you're not. 
You might just be following the way of the dragon, which leads to eternal death and destruction. It's following the lamb. It's following the shepherd, listening to his voice and following him wherever he goes. That's what identifies a true follower of Jesus, one whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. If there's not a passion for Jesus in your life to worship him and follow him and make him known, you need to wake up. You might be following the way of the dragon. Verse 12, and blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1335 days. We've talked about 1260 and 1290 all throughout Daniel. Uh, That's referring to three and a half years based upon which calendar you would be using at that day and that time. But now we've got 1335. So so what's this? Well, some scholars have conjectured. That's that's what it is, is conjecture because we don't know for sure that maybe this is talking about a 45 day period between the time that Jesus returns and his inauguration of the kingdom to set up his kingdom, like to appoint you and I as his followers to rule underneath him and his rule. Verse 13, as for you, go your way until the end, you will rest. And then at the end of days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Jesus tells Daniel, go your way, live your life, enjoy your life, knowing these three things. And we're done. Number one, enjoy your life, knowing you're going to rest. You're you're gonna die. Your your body's gonna go into the grave. Unless you're alive, when Jesus returns, you will die. It's the curse of sin. So, So go your way, enjoy your life, knowing that one day you will die. You will rest. The scripture says it is wise. Wise people think about death a lot. And Jesus tells Daniel, go your way, live your life, enjoy your life, knowing that you will rest. You will die because that is the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. But know this, enjoy your life, because even though you will rest, Daniel, you will rise. Because of your faith in the coming Messiah who will die on the cross in your place for your sin, because of your faith in that Messiah who will die on the cross, looking ahead to the cross, you will rise. And Christian, you and I, we look back on the cross. And as you look back on the cross and you place your faith in Jesus who died on that cross, your sin is forgiven, you're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. When you look back at the cross and you place your faith in the cross of Christ, then even though you die one day, just like Jesus said, you will live. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, will rise even though they die, even though they rest. And then finally, Go your way, live your life, enjoy your life knowing this, you will receive. You will receive an inheritance from God. And you might be thinking, well, what's that inheritance? What is this reward that Christians are awaiting? Well, in Malachi chapter three, there's some people, the people of God begin to argue and they begin to say, what's the use of serving and obeying this God? Look at Look at our suffering. What's the use of serving and obeying God? In other words, You could put it like this, what's the use? What's the point? Is serving Jesus really worth it? Maybe you've wondered that before too. And here's what God says in response. He answers from heaven. 
Malachi chapter three through the beginning of chapter four, he says this, here's your reward, here's your inheritance. You will be my people. You will be my treasure. I will spare you from judgment. I will heal you. I will free you. I will fill you with joy and you will rule forever in my kingdom. That's the inheritance that awaits you and that could be yours now if you would give your life to Jesus. Yes, God says, it's worth it. It's worth it to serve me and to obey me, to give your life to me. It is worth it. In Revelation chapter 20, verse through chapter 22, John is seeing this vision of everything that's to come. And he sees this kingdom on earth that Jesus will have and where he will reign for a thousand years, set up a physical kingdom here on earth after he returns. John is seeing the eternal punishment of Satan and the wicked, that these evil counterfeits will be gone forever. And every counterfeit that Satan has ever made to try to entice you to turn away from the one true God, these things will be gone forever. All the suffering will gone, be gone forever. There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more pain, sorrow, sin, sickness, or suffering. Jesus says all these things will be gone forever. John sees that we will receive these new resurrection bodies. There'll be this new city, this new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven to earth and there will be a new earth. And Jesus says this, all the old things were gonna be gone. And behold, Jesus says, I'm gonna make everything new. And so your reward, Christian, your inheritance one day is that you're gonna receive a new glorified resurrection body. This earth is going to be made totally new and perfect as the way it was when God first made it. And then you will live in a new city on this new earth, the new Jerusalem, this perfect city, heavenly city of God, where we will rule and reign under the reign of Jesus. This Christian, non-Christian, this is what your soul is longing for. Nothing else than this, than this inheritance will ever satisfy you. All the counterfeits that you pursue will never satisfy you. All the lesser kings that you have followed will never satisfy you. You were made for a relationship with the one true God through his one son, Jesus, our King Jesus, who rose from the grave. That's why you exist. That's why you're on, your, on this planet. Nothing else, nothing less than that relationship with our King Jesus who rose from the grave will ever satisfy you. So give your life to Jesus today. If that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form. Let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus. It has been my honor to lead you through this study of the book of Daniel. Would you stand? We're gonna worship in Revelation chapter 22. After everything that John saw about the end and everything that's to come, he writes this, the spirit and the bride say come. That's God's spirit is inviting you now, moving in your heart, come to Jesus. The bride, that's the church, continues to preach. Come, come to Jesus. John writes this, if anyone who hears this, come to Jesus. Anyone who's thirsty, come to Jesus. Come out from under the wrath of God, come under the grace of God. Come receive your inheritance today. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus the resurrection and the life. We believe in your son, Jesus. And so our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We will live even after dying. We will rise. So God, we praise you. The Father who is merciful to us, the Son who died for us, the Spirit who is calling us now. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.